Today's text is John 21, 15 through 25. So please turn to John 21, 15 through 25. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who was bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I wonder what the worst sin is that you've ever committed. For some of us, we might have to think back through the database of our memories, but I would guess that for many of us, it won't take too much searching. Somebody after the first service this morning said, it took me a whole half a second to remember that sin. I'm talking about one of those sins that you don't want to think about. you just rather block it out. When you recall this sin to mind, it causes your stomach to turn and it causes your chest to get a little bit tighter. For some of us, that sin was public and it caused us a great amount of embarrassment. But I would guess that for many of us, that sin was something that was just between us and the Lord. And we want to make sure we keep it that way. <laughs> because if your friends find out, or your spouse finds out, you're not sure exactly how they're going to look at you going forward. Have you remembered that sin yet? Has it come to mind? 
John 21 is one of the most moving chapters in the Bible, but to really understand it, we need to feel it. We need to remember that feeling of guilt and shame that comes from committing that most heinous sin. Because that's the underlying emotion that Peter is feeling as he is reconnected with Jesus. And as Jesus engages him in his embarrassment and in his shame and in his guilt, it points to how Jesus engages us when we have a similar dynamic. I'm sure you remember the background of John 21. Peter's looming sin of denying Jesus three times is left unresolved. And yet Jesus had already been crucified. He had risen from the dead. He had appeared to his disciples on resurrection day. He appeared to them again later with Thomas present. And now in John 21, he's appearing to them for the third time. And they rejoice at his appearing. They're out fishing again, fishing for fish. And Jesus is on the shore. And he redirects them to cast the net to the other side in the first part of the chapter. And as a result, they receive a great haul of fish. And what we saw in John 21, the first half of it, was a living parable that Jesus points to the fact that these men will see a great haul for the kingdom of God. Many, many souls will enter the kingdom of God because they fish, but not for fish. Many souls will enter the kingdom of God because they fish for men and women and boys and girls. And now, as they sit by the charcoal fire in the cool of the morning, the fog is rising up off the water, the sun is turning the sky pink, Jesus turns his attention to Peter. And he looks across the fire at him and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? The question is direct and the moment is tense. For hundreds of years, people have debated about what Jesus means by these. Do you love me more than these? Does, does that mean, Simon, do you love me more than you love these disciples around the fire with us? Or does it mean, Simon, do you love me more than you love these fishing nets that you've so quickly gone back to? I don't think it's either one. In fact, I think probably what Jesus is asking is something more like, Simon, do you love me more than these disciples love me. Sort of like asking your kids, Noel, do you love me more than Alexa loves me? And you don't really know what answer you're gonna get at that moment, and they don't exactly know how to ask, but Peter knew, Peter knew that this question was serious. Because if you remember back, Just a short time earlier, Jesus was with all of these disciples again. He was around the dinner table. Judas ran off into the night ready to betray Jesus. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples and he's preparing them for the fact that he's going to die. And as he's preparing them, in John 13, 36, he says, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. 
And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you've denied me three times. Peter's profession of fidelity, (laughs) fidelity even to the point of death, was unique among the disciples. Not another one would say such a confident and maybe even brash claim. In one sense, Peter was saying, I'm more committed to you than they are. I love you more than they do. And now Jesus recalls to mind that claim of Peter and he does so in front of the other disciples to see if he still indeed does think that he loves him more than the others do. And that question is cutting. That question is designed to produce a little more pain. But that pain has a purpose. It's interesting, he doesn't call Peter, doesn't call him Peter, doesn't call him Simon Peter. That's the name that he had actually bestowed upon him, Peter meaning rock. Upon this rock I will build this church. Instead, he just refers to him as the name Simon, son of John. His denial of Jesus three times by the charcoal fire outside the high priest's house showed that he actually wasn't much of a rock at all. Just a mere human. A mere human with human weaknesses. And so Jesus calls him by his given name, Simon. And now, he's at a different charcoal fire. He's asked a different set of questions. But he's asked them an equal number of times. Simon, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me? If you've heard this passage taught before, you may have heard that there are two different words in the Greek language that are used for love in this interaction. And and without getting so far down into the weeds, these two words are phileo and agapao. And some people have thought that phileo love means like an affectionate type of love and that agapaho is a love that is purer in its form, it's higher, it's love combined with a sense of commitment and duty. And a lot of people over the years have made a, a big deal about the differences of these two words in this passage, describing different levels of love. But you know, scholars have, have come more and more and more to the conclusion that these two words are basically interchangeable in their meaning. And so there's no strong distinction when Jesus asks Peter, do you agapaho me? And Peter replies, I phileo you. (laughs) Do you love me? Do you love me? And in fact, the point of varying degrees of love doesn't need to even be found in the words because it's quite clear in the repetition. Because you don't need to ask somebody if they love you three times after they've already told you yes the first time. 
I don't ask Amy if she loves me two more times after she's already said yes the first time, and this is for two reasons. The first reason is I don't want to annoy her and make her question her first response, possibly changing her mind. The second reason, and perhaps the more severe reason, is by repeatedly asking the question, you're challenging the affirmation that they're making. You're implying that you don't even believe what they're saying to be true. And yet Jesus asks, and he asks, and he asks, do you love me? And he does so because he's trying to give Peter an opportunity and because he's trying to make a point. And the point is this. Genuine love for Jesus is the natural outflow of your faith in him. And Peter had professed faith in him, but his first go around on the love piece and proclaiming it didn't go so well. He knew that Peter had genuine faith. Peter really believed that Jesus was the Savior. And if he really believed it, then indeed he would love him. Even though the first and big test didn't go so well, Jesus is giving Peter another chance. He's, he's giving a chance. He's boosting him up. He's allowing him to affirm three times what he had previously denied three times because he knew in this man that the failure and the shame was real but that the faith was genuine. And that begs the question, as you think about your relationship with Jesus, as you think about how you might describe it, Jesus asks you the same question. Do you love me? <laughs> Not simply, do you appreciate me? Are you thankful for me? Do you respect me? But do you love me? This is the most important question for Christians because it leads to the most important thing. Your love for Jesus. Now hear me right now because this is, this is so convoluted in our time today. Your love for Jesus is to be the predominant love in your life. More than you love food, more than you love your recreation or your comfort, more than you love vacation, more than you love your job, and even more than you love your family. Your love for the Lord Jesus is to be the predominant love of your life. This happens as you experience him as you receive the forgiveness that he offers you as you are washed clean from guilt and shame of your sin as you're given new life and life to the full as he says and as you're set on a purpose and a mission you grow in love for him as your faith grows your love grows these things coincide with each other they're interconnected they're inextricably linked in fact, love for Jesus is the most important thing. Just as love for God has been taught to the Israelites from the very beginning that this is the most important thing. You might remember in the Old Testament the command of God to his people. It's called the Shema. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God 
with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. You fast forward hundreds of years. Jesus is standing, the incarnate son of God who has come to earth because of his love for us is now standing amongst a people who would reject him. And they ask him the question, Rabbi, what is the greatest command? In Matthew 22, Jesus says to them, Teacher, what is the greatest command in the law? And Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Loving the Lord is the most important thing. Do you love him? Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times he proclaims his love for Jesus. And three times Jesus gives him a commission. It's interesting when you look at the text, the third time Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? You can just sense that Peter is starting to get the point. And even though he's stung by the questions and he's growing in frustration, there is an ever sense of confidence in his proclamation of love. And he can only at this point appeal to Jesus' divine attributes. He says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know that I love you even though I denied you. You know that I love you even though I'm isolated because of my shame and my embarrassment. Lord, you know that I love you even though my actions don't always communicate that I love you. And Jesus responds again. A first response to Peter's profession of love is feed my lambs. Second response, tend my sheep. And the third response, feed my sheep. Jesus believes Peter. <laughs> and Jesus restores Peter. He is forgiven of his worst sin. He's forgiven of his greatest embarrassment. He's forgiven of the sin that makes his stomach turn and his chest tight. He's forgiven of the sin that he's been waking up at every single night as the rooster crows with sweat on his brow and the weight of guilt on his shoulder. The self-isolation that he's experiencing because of his shame need not continue. The path and the course of his life and his direction is now highlighted, and Jesus gives him an incredibly high calling. Let me pause for a minute here and make two observations. Observation number one is that for whatever potential Peter had in serving God, this was contingent upon his forgiveness. This is really important to recognize in your own life. Whatever potential you have in serving the Lord, it's contingent upon God forgiving you of your sin. There are so many people that want to serve Jesus, at least they profess that they do, and yet they don't want to engage in the hard conversation and the often painful step of repentance and contrition that leads to forgiveness and change. Brian was a business owner and a musician in his church. 
He was a public figure and he had great gifts. But he also struggled deeply with pride. And in his pride, he would gossip and he would slander and he would fight and he would rebel against authority that is over him. And often he would sin against other members in his church family. And the damage was getting to a point where the pastor of the church needed to address this with Brian. And so he brought his concern gently but clearly. And instead of engaging the Lord and repenting and receiving the forgiveness that God offers and changing course, he left in anger. He stormed off in pride. He went down the road to the next church. He skipped the very basic step of repentance, and as a result, he didn't experience change. Well, you know what happened. This is an old story. This happens a lot of times to a lot of people. The same thing happened at the next church. Great gifts, gregarious personality, and two years later, he was gone, storming off in his pride and skipping the basic, basic step of accepting forgiveness from the Lord who can only and alone forgive these types of sins. You wanna serve the Lord with your life? Good, you should. It's the best possible life you can have, serving Jesus with your days. Some of you feel so guilty like Peter that you have a hard time forgiving yourself of that egregious sin that you've committed and you can't even imagine that Jesus would forgive you. And the good news of this passage and the good news of the gospel is if he is gonna forgive a Jesus denier, then he's gonna forgive you. All you need to do is have that spiritual conversation across the charcoal fire in which you repent and his grace and restoration is abundant to you. Others of you perhaps need to feel more guilty than you do that you might be like Brian and want to skip the most basic step of repentance and contrition that leads to forgiveness and change. And without that, you'll never be effective even if you desire to serve the Lord with your days. Your potential for serving him is contingent upon forgiveness. The second observation about this interaction is that the commissioning of Peter to feed the lambs and tend the sheep and feed the sheep, that's a commissioning that is representative of the whole work of ministry to Christians. And it's a privileged place. This is so cool. Just think about this for a minute with me. God himself is called the shepherd of his people again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. God's son, Jesus, comes and he is referred to as the good shepherd. And now, upon restoring the denier, upon restoring the sinner, Jesus gives this great charge to Peter and he gives it not just to Apostle Peter who will plant churches, not just to Pastor Peter who will pastor churches, he gives it to basic sinner who turns Christian Peter, who will engage with all kinds of Christians throughout his days, and therefore he gives it to you. He says, I am the shepherd, Jesus is the good shepherd, and now you are shepherds. 
And that's an amazing, amazing call for your life. Lambs, little lambs, little children, and sheep, men and women, who Jesus loves so much that he died for them. Each one who needs care and nourishment by the word of God and concern for their growth and maturity in Jesus. And he entrusts those sheep to each other in that regard as you shepherd each other in the Lord. It's the highest calling in life. It's the highest calling you can possibly have to look out for and to care for the very ones that are blood-bought by the Savior. That's amazing. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to serve God with your life. Tend the sheep. (laughs) You don't know what to do. You say, God, I'm waiting for a message to be written in the clouds. What should I do? Feed the lambs. This is the greatest calling of your day. Even though we make mistakes and sin, even though Peter made the most egregious mistake and denied Jesus, and even though you have committed that sin that you were thinking about just moments ago that makes your stomach turn and your chest tight and the feeling of guilt weigh down upon your shoulders, Jesus forgives you when you repent and he gives you the charge. He gives this charge to all of those who love him be fishers of men and be shepherds of sheep. I wonder if you might think about the people in your life who were shepherds for you. Many of you grew up watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, as I had. Fred Rogers was the creator of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, a television show that ran from 1968 all the way to the year 2000. 895 episodes. And in 1997, Mr. Rogers won the Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award. And here's just a short excerpt from Fred Rogers' speech. He stood up and he said, so many people have helped me to come to this night. Some of you are here. Some are far away. And some are even in heaven. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you take along with me just 10 seconds to think of some of the people who have helped you become who you are? Those who cared about you and for you, wanted the best for your life. 10 seconds of silence and I'll watch the time. And as the camera panned through the room, you saw celebrity after celebrity after celebrity with tears welling up in their eyes as they thought about the ones who had invested in them. There's power in remembering. And there's power in looking at the example of others. Friends, likewise, all of us who know the Lord Jesus have special ones in our life who loved us into being children of God. Some are here. Some are far away. And some are in heaven, around the throne, worshiping the Lord and the King. I wonder if you might take just 10 seconds with me to think about those who loved you into being a child of God. Just 10 seconds. I'll keep track of the time.
everyone has spiritual parents or spiritual older brothers and sisters. And those people did so in your life because they loved Jesus so much that they took seriously the charge that he gives to all of those who love them. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my flock. And the call of Peter is the call to you. Do you love Jesus like that? If so, are you willing to be that for someone else? Will you be a spiritual parent or a spiritual older brother or sister that raises up spiritual children to follow Jesus and to invite others to follow him as well? Because when you start to put all of the beautiful themes of this passage together, the idea of shame and forgiveness and restoration and love and commissioning, you begin to see something like the love for Jesus compels us to serve him throughout our lives and even to our deaths. When you really love Jesus, you're compelled to serve him throughout your life all the way to your death. Jesus forgave Peter. He restored Peter. He directed Peter. And now, at the close of the passage, he gives a stark reminder to him and to you and to me. He says, follow me, even to death. Look at verse 18 again. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Jesus speaks in the form of a proverb to Peter. Proverbs, pretty obvious. When you're young, you have freedom to go where you want to go. When you're old, other people are going to lead you to where you don't want to go. And in this case, your hands will be stretched out, which is a colloquialism in the ancient world to say, you will be crucified. The Lord prophesies about how Peter is going to die. He dictates, Jesus does, when we live. (laughs) Dictates where we live. He even dictates when and how we're going to die. And in Peter's case, the immense public shame of his denial would be overshadowed by a glorious death, but he didn't know when. (laughs) In fact, Peter lived for 30 more years knowing that someday he would be crucified, but never knowing which year it would be. Now some of you might say, I don't know if I could live with the pressure of that. That fear might override me. Maybe it did for Peter, but I think it was just the opposite that happened. Peter knew that 
He would be crucified someday in service of the Lord and that motivated him to spend every lasting breath that he had until the day when he would be crucified upside down by Nero for the entire Roman Empire to see because he knew and he was motivated by the fact that Jesus, the resurrected Lord himself, would be there to meet him on that very day. John says that his death was to glorify God, verse 19. And that begs the question, how will your death glorify God? You ever think about that? Are you ready for that? Sure, you don't know when you'll die. Nobody's prophesied about how you'll die. But you can have an idea about the general manner in which you will die. Will you die serving yourself or will you die serving the Lord? (laughs) That's an important question to ask because the culture of our time says you reach a certain age in life and then you spend the rest of your life serving yourself. You serve your comforts. You serve your entertainment. You serve all of the things that you might desire. You've worked hard. You've saved in your 401k. You've earned it. The question for the Christian is will you die serving yourself or will you die serving the Lord? And for some of us, maybe it's time to stop living for your comfort or for your pursuit of entertainment. Because Jesus says whoever loses his life or whoever loves his life will lose it doesn't he? And now he says, whoever loves me will tend my sheep. The Lord directs the days of the disciples' death, but will your days between this day and that glorify him in your life in such a way that he will be glorified in your death? Another way to put it is this. (laughs) Jesus asked the question, Do you love me? Love for Jesus compels us to serve him through our lives and even all the way to our death. In his book, Written in Blood, Robert Coleman tells the story of a little boy whose sister needed a blood transfusion. She had a rare blood type which she shared with her little brother And the fact that he had recovered from the same disease two years earlier made the chances of success even greater. And so the doctor carefully explained all of this to the little boy, pointing out that without the transfusion, his sister would die. Would you be brave and give blood to your sister? The doctor asked Johnny. And Johnny hesitated. His bottom lip started to tremor. And he gained his composure and he smiled and he said, sure, for my sister, for my sister. And the two children were wheeled into the hospital room, Mary, pale and thin, and Johnny, robust and healthy. And he smiled at his sister and he watched as the blood traveled out of his body, down that clear plastic tube. 
and his smile began to fade. And as he lay there feeling a little weak, he looked up at the doctor and said, Doctor, when do I die? Johnny thought that he was giving all of his blood to his sister. And that meant that he was giving up his life for hers. And yet, because of his great love for her, he was willing to do that. I wonder if we might be willing to be the type of disciples to expend our very last breath from our lungs or the very last drop of blood from our veins out of love for Jesus and willingness to sacrifice the days of our lives for his good sheep. Oh, to be a disciple like that. Jesus says, feed my lambs. He says, tend my sheep. He says, feed my sheep, even to your death. Let's pray. Father, for those among us who experience the weight of guilt and shame that has not left us because of the sins that we have committed, we welcome the good news of grace and forgiveness. For if you forgive Peter, you will certainly forgive us. God, we need that grace for new life. Father, for many of us, we struggle in love. Maybe we feel stalled in our faith or maybe our love has grown cold and we proclaim today, God, help us all the more to love the Lord Jesus and therefore to serve him with our days. You are our king, you are our master, you are the giver of our life. Help us, God, today to make choices to spend our life on the things that matter the most because we love you. For the sake of the glory of Jesus in our life and for his glory even in our death, amen.